Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello, friends. Before we dive into Sophocles, I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent. I'm sure you already know that I record these about a month before they drop, which means I'm recording this episode in the middle of the March. And if you can't remember back that far, or if you're listening to this years later, I'm writing this in the midst of the COVID-19 epidemic. Here in Michigan, we've just been told that K-12 schools will be closed for the next three weeks. Our local theaters are shutting down, and while these are sad things, they are important. Me? I'm currently the mean mom with a public health degree forcing her five-year-old to wash her hands. And I'm on antibiotics for bronchitis and sinusitis. Yay! And that makes it things like ancient lit seem somewhat frivolous. But there are two things to remember. That's what I told you at the beginning. Ancient lit teaches us about ourselves and what it means to be human, about life and death. And the other thing to remember, there's nothing wrong with a little frivolity. And at a time when we can't seek frivolity by going to a play or a movie or to hear a favorite band, podcasts are a pretty good substitute. And hopefully by the time you hear this, we will have slowed the spread of COVID-19 because we've taken these precautions. And hopefully we will have enough test kits available to have drive-through testing available for everyone so that we can have a better understanding of the scope of this disease, who it impacts, and how fatal it is. And I hope that all of you are safe and well. And with that, on to Sophocles, who, let's face it, did not write plays that one would consider to be lighthearted. Sorry about that. We'll have another Aristophanes next week. So, this is our first Sophocles. You're probably more familiar with him than you were with Aeschylus. Sophocles, of course, gave us Oedipus Rex, or more properly, Oedipus Tyrannos, but that's for another week. And instead of doing a mini-episode that's his bio and then a normal episode that's just about the play, I'm going to include his bio in the introduction to today's play. So about Sophocles. In short, he was a nice guy. Everyone liked him. You'll even note that Aristophanes, who regularly makes fun of Euripides and Aeschylus, generally leaves Sophocles alone because he was such a nice guy that it just didn't seem fair to make fun of him. He was born around 496 BCE and died around 406 BCE. Yes, that means he lived at least 90 years. His first play was performed in 468 BCE. We don't know much about that play other than that he won first place, beating Aeschylus. He won first place at least 20 times, several second places, and zero thirds. As far as we know, this is a better record than either Aeschylus or Euripides. And the plays that have survived are still beautiful and heart-wrenching tales. If you're looking for catharsis, Sophocles is a good place to start. He started out as an actor, but he didn't have a very strong voice, which is saying something because ancient Greek theaters had amazing acoustics. Even today, even the ones that are in ruins still have amazing acoustics. But he decided he was better suited to be solely a playwright instead of both writing and performing his works. One of his key innovations was adding a third actor to the stage. Yes, I told you when we started Aeschylus that there were only three actors, but if you read closely, you'll see that Aeschylus rarely had more than two actors, plus the chorus speaking at any given time. The use of masks instead of makeup in Greek theater does mean a non-speaking extra could play a dead body. And even though he lived at the same time as both Aeschylus and Euripides, we place him in the middle because the structure of his plays is transitional between the other two great tragedians. 
They are more realistic than Aeschylus, which makes them very accessible to a modern reader. But the chorus still plays a large role, although his chorus generally numbered around 15-1-5 to Aeschylus's 50-5-0. He wrote about 120 different plays, but only seven have survived in full. Antigone, Oedipus Rex, Philoctetes, Oedipus at Colonus, Ajax, Electra, and Women of Trachis. We have dates for four of them and guesses for the rest, so this list is not the order in which we will cover them. I'll be using those guesses to try to present them to you in the order in which they premiered. Our first play up is Ajax. I will be working from the E.F. Watling translation from 1953. It's not particularly new, but it is very readable. Ajax is one of those plays for which we don't have dates. Stylistically, it appears to be from early-ish in Sophocles' career, so we think it's the earliest of his plays to have survived. Best guess is that it premiered somewhere between 460 and 440 BCE. You should recall from our Iliad episodes that there were two Greek figures named Ajax. This is the story of what happened to big Ajax at the end of the Trojan War. Little Ajax doesn't appear in this play, so I'm not going to use the modifier because I shouldn't need to differentiate the two characters beyond this. Several of the other characters should be familiar to you from the Iliad. Athena, Odysseus, Menelaus, and Agamemnon. We meet Ajax's half-brother, Teucer, and then there are two characters that are somewhat problematic, but I'll save the problem of them for the analysis section. For now, I'll call Tecmessa his wife and Eurysaces his son. The homogenous course in this play is made up of the sailors who came to Troy with Ajax. You don't need much background on the plot because it is all explained within the play. And we'll get to that plot after a quick break. Before we get started with the summary of what happens in Ajax, I want to give a content warning. Uh, you may already know the story of what happens to Ajax after the Trojan War, in which case you're already prepared for this play. But since we haven't read the Odyssey yet, I haven't covered it with you. This play is about how Ajax dies by suicide. It happens about halfway through the play. If you read the play, it is more detailed than you may anticipate. I will not go into that detail, but I do want you to be prepared for that scene when it comes. This also means this may not be the best episode for listening to with young children, but it might be a great starter for discussion on mental health and suicide for your older children. Yeah, this one is kind of heavy. There are several heart-wrenching moments in this play. Sophocles is good for making you cry. Okay, the standard quick refresher on the parts of a tragedy, prologue, parados, episodes, and stasimons, and exodus. When the play opens, Troy has recently been defeated, but the Greeks have not yet packed up to return home. The scene is outside of Ajax's tent. Odysseus and Athena enter. Odysseus has spent the entire night searching for Ajax. Someone has slaughtered all of the sheep and cattle that the Greeks had plundered, and all signs point to that someone being Ajax. Athena explains that Odysseus is correct. Ajax is jealous that Odysseus was awarded Achilles' armor after that hero's death. He was determined to get his revenge by killing Agamemnon, Menelaus, and Odysseus, but Athena clouded his eyes. Instead, Ajax slaughtered the sheep and cattle, thinking they were his intended target. Odysseus is understandably horrified. Athena calls Ajax to come out. Odysseus begs her to stop. He does not fear Ajax as a sane man, but as the madman Athena has turned him into, Odysseus does not want to face that. 
Athena ignores Odysseus and continues to call for Ajax to come out. When he does, she clouds his eyes so that he doesn't see Odysseus. Ajax tells Athena that he has Odysseus chained inside his tent, tied to a pillar in preparation for being lashed. He then re-enters his tent to continue with what he had been doing before Athena called him out. Odysseus tells Athena that he pities Ajax and that no one, friend or foe, should suffer as Ajax is currently suffering. Athena warns Odysseus that this is nigh unto blasphemy, for the gods abhor all that is evil, such as wanting to murder one's comrades. Athena vanishes, and Odysseus withdraws. The chorus of sailors enter. They are the men who came with Ajax from Greece and have served under him during the entire Trojan campaign. They sing about what happened to the sheep and cattle, wondering who did it and why, and call for Ajax to tell him what he knows. Tecmessa enters. She tells the chorus that it was Ajax who slaughtered the cattle, and she describes the horrors that are currently going on in their tent. But it gets worse. The madness has passed, and Ajax is now lucid enough to see and understand what he has done. She points out that this has doubled the sorrow. When Ajax was in the throes of his madness, he was happy, but now that his sanity has returned, he grieves for what he has done, and the grief his actions put upon his, com- his companions has not lessened. Now everyone is sad. From within the tent, he can be heard, call- heard calling for Eurysthenes, the son he has had with Tecmessa, and Teucer, his half-brother. Tecmessa opens the door, or, you know, tent flap, to reveal Ajax weeping as he sits amidst the dead sheep. But he is still angry at Agamemnon, Menelaus, and Odysseus, and he explains why. Achilles had wanted his armor to go to the best of the Greeks should he die. And who, after Achilles, was the best of the Greeks? Big Ajax. But instead, Achilles' armor was awarded to Odysseus. Tecmessa pleads for him not to do anything foolish, to think about what will happen to her and their son. But he pushes her away and calls for his son again. A guard enters with Eurysthenes. He tells Eurysthenes to be brave and to be a good son to his mother and to enjoy the innocent days of childhood. And he gives the boy his shield, which bears the boy's name, and then lashes out at Tecmessa, telling her to stop crying and that if she must, she should go inside. But she reiterates her fears for him before sending Eurysthenes away. The tent flaps close, shutting Ajax inside. The chorus sings a lament about the change that has come over Ajax. Ajax enters, which is to say that he exits his tent. He is calm and resolute, and he is carrying his sword. He tells Tecmessa to go inside and pray for him, and she exits. And then he tells the chorus to have Teucer take care of his affairs, and he exits. The chorus sings a short stasimon in which they rejoice that the horror of the night has passed. A messenger enters with news of Teucer. He seeks Ajax. The prophet Calchas has said that Ajax should not leave his tent if Teucer wants to see him alive again, but as we know, it is too late for that. Tecmessa enters, along with Eurysthenes, and is told about this prophecy. She beseeches the chorus to help her, to search for both Teucer and Ajax, and everyone on stage disperses on the quest. And this is the part I warned you about. I promise I will not be graphic, but if you would prefer to, feel free to skip ahead about 30 seconds. Ajax enters. He tells us that the sword he carries belonged to Hector, and that makes it fitting to be the instrument that will kill him. He prays to Zeus and Hermes, and then he falls on his sword. Yes, this is a death that occurs on stage in a Greek tragedy. I told you that never happens, but there is always an exception to the rule, and it has just happened. And the stage is silent for a moment before we hear the chorus. 
They have divided into two groups, half entering from one side and half entering from the other. They are still searching for Ajax and do not see his body on stage. Before they find him, Tecmessa does. She cries out, alerting the chorus. She explains that her life is now over too, that there is nothing left for her or their son. Teucer enters and is told that Ajax asked him to care for Eurysaces. Teucer grieves and prepares to bury his brother. And that is when Menelaus enters. He orders everyone to leave the body alone. Ajax's actions show that he was not truly an ally to the Greeks, and he has therefore died in shame and is not worthy of a proper burial. Teucer is insistent on giving his brother a proper burial and challenges Menelaus to a duel. After all, Menelaus is the king of Sparta, and Teucer is not from Sparta. Menelaus leaves. Tecmessa returns with Eurysaces. Teucer has the boy kneel by his father's body and tells the chorus to stand guard while he goes to prepare a grave. The chorus sings another lament. Teucer returns, followed by Agamemnon. They argue over whether or not Ajax merits a proper burial. Odysseus enters. He confirms that Ajax was the bravest of the Greeks, second only to Achilles. He forgives Ajax, for he understands the root of his anger. He will not speak ill of the dead. Agamemnon does not agree, but he exits, leaving the next actions up to those left on stage. Odysseus tells the chorus and Teucer that, despite the enmity between himself and Ajax, Ajax was once a noble man, and he deserves a proper burial. The play ends with Teucer calling for the chorus to dig a grave for the fallen hero. We'll take a short break for you to catch your breath, maybe wipe a tear or two, blow your nose if you're an ugly crier like I am. I warned you that this was a heavy play, and not just because of the suicide. This play is tragic in just about every scene. The Greeks were big on catharsis in their tragedies, and Ajax delivers it in spades. We'll start with the obvious point of discussion. Ajax Ajax dies on stage. This is not a thing in Greek tragedy. I told you when we were going through Aeschylus that Greek tragedies always had death occur off stage. Everything interesting happens off stage. Generally, in Greek tragedy, we are told about what has happened. There's not a lot of doing. But not in this case. We watch Ajax fall on his sword. So why is that? Why this break from tradition? There is one difference that stands out to me. This is a suicide, not a homicide. It is still striking to have the death occur on stage, but perhaps Sophocles differentiated between these two manners of death. If you have another thought, please do pop over to the blog and share it. The second thing I'd like to cover is honor. This is a theme that has come up a lot in the episodes about the Iliad. Homer was a likely source for Sophocles as he wrote this play, which makes sense since this too is a Trojan War story. Honor is a through line to this play. Who should have been honored with Achilles' armor, Ajax or Odysseus? Odysseus himself says that Ajax was the greatest, second only to Achilles. So how did Odysseus manage to get the honor of being awarded the armor? We are regularly told how clever and wily Odysseus is. Did he get this honor through dishonorable means? But this does not mean that Ajax behaves with honor. He is bent on revenge. It is only through the intercession of Athena that he does not kill his comrades. Are any of these men honorable? And before I close this episode, I want to discuss the problem of Tecmessa. She is described as Ajax's wife, and in her actions in speech, she does appear to care for him. 
but she is also a war prize. She did not come with him from Greece. She lives because she is a war prize. So what happens to a captive such as her now that the man to whom she was awarded is dead? Her speeches are even more powerful and heart-wrenching when we consider the precarious nature of her status. She grieves for the man who has been her husband for long enough to have a son who is more than an infant, but she also grieves for herself. She's not exaggerating when she says her life is over. What are your thoughts? I know this is the first Sophocles we've covered, but who do you like better, Sophocles or Aeschylus? The link to the blog's in the show notes, and I look forward to continuing our discussion there. On Wednesday, we'll continue with the Iliad. We're taking Friday off this week. And on Monday, we'll have something much more diverting, or at least amusing, or trippy. I don't know what Aristophanes was smoking when he wrote birds, but that's what we'll cover on Monday. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.